Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, this next podcast is about one of the most intriguing places I know of, the Nahani Valley better known as the Valley of Headless Men. There isn't much more I can say about it that I haven't already said in the podcast, so let's just jump right into it, shall we? Hey, I'm Neoma Finn. The rugged mountains in Canada's Northwest Territories have been the home to the Dene people for millennia. They've traversed the rough terrain, canoed the rivers, hunted the game, and made their homes in the peaceful valleys since long before Europeans came to this continent. If anyone knows the land, they do. The Dene people have long told stories of the Nahani Valley buried deep in that wilderness. Periodically, intrepid warriors have ventured into the territory and mostly never returned. Those who did brought back tales of an evil spirit whose cries echoed through the valley at night, or of a tribe of big, hairy, cannibalistic wild men they called the Nakani, who lived in the caves carved into the stone walls of the valley and who were led by a beautiful, pale-skinned woman. The valley, they said, was lush and green year-round. It was a tropical oasis hidden in a frozen hell. Long ago, the Dene people say, their adversaries, a nomadic tribe they called the Naha, lived in the Nahani Valley. Nahani means the land of the Naha, or the people over there. These fierce warriors frequently conducted raids on the Dene settlements that sat along the Lured and Mackenzie rivers. After so many devastating attacks, the Dene people could take it no more. They put together their own war party and took the fight to the Naha, but when they found the Naha encampment, they found it abandoned. The Naha had disappeared. Fear of what could have made such a powerful race of beings vanish sent the warriors running back to their own settlement, where they spent many a night regaling their friends and families of tales of the mysterious valley. The Naha were never heard from again. The Nahani Valley is virtually impossible to get to. It is considered one of the last unexplored regions in the world. At well over 500 miles from Yellowknife, its closest city, it is generally unreachable by road. Until 2010, water transportation was the main summer access and ice roads were constructed in the winter. Today, though the ice roads are still used, there is a general purpose road for summer travel. These will take you only so far, though. To get into the valley, expect to hike. You may wonder what could possibly drive humans to explore such an inhospitable place. Why would anyone want to go there if doing so was such a hardship? 
Common sense dictates that should those who know the place best say to stay away from it, it would be wise to follow their advice. But common sense has a trump card. Greed. Buried in the mountains surrounding the Nahani Valley, they say, is gold. The Bible says, for the love of money is the root of all evil. In the case of the Nahani Valley, it is also the root of all sorrows. When gold fever hit the Klondike at the end of the 19th century, over 100,000 prospectors rushed into the area to make their fortunes. Most took routes that began in southeast Alaskan ports and traveled up the Yukon River. There were several ways to get there, but all eventually landed the sourdoughs, as they were often called, on the Yukon that took them to their final destination. One route, however, took them entirely through Canada. Traveling this way was especially treacherous due to the rugged mountains and the extreme cold. Not many were hardy enough to attempt the all-Canadian trail. Many of them didn't make it. That may have been a direct result of yielding to the temptation of cutting through the Nahani Valley. Certainly, at least two men made it through and lived to warn others against trying. But I can find no indication of any others who entered that valley en route to the gold fields and succeeded. In 1904, brothers Frank and Willie McLeod decided to try their hand at gold mining. However, they had no intention of heading to the Yukon. They'd heard of gold in the Nahani Valley, and that was where they went to find it. Together, they traveled from Edmonton, Alberta, north to the Nahani Valley, where they spent the next year panning for and finding more gold than they could have imagined. Once they had all they could carry out, they loaded their canoe with their treasure and headed back down to civilization. They hadn't gotten far when their canoe tipped over, and nearly all of their hard work was lost. They managed to make their way back to Edmonton with one bottle full of nuggets, where they shared their stories of gold for the taking and how they'd lost so much of it back to the river where they'd found it. It wasn't long until the fever overtook them again, and again they set out. This time they brought with them a friend to help with the work and share in the wealth. Certain that they'd make their fortunes this time, they planned for a year-long excursion and left home with warm handshakes and cheerful wishes of safe travels. After a year had gone by, another McLeod brother began to worry. At first, he assured himself that the three men had found an exceptional strike and were reluctant to leave it until they'd gotten all they could. But another month went by, and then another, and another, and the brothers and their friend did not show up. Convinced now that some great tragedy had befallen his siblings, he mounted his own expedition and led a party of men deep into the valley. To his horror, he found his brothers, or what was left of them. Their remains were at their encampment, clearly taken down in a surprise attack. One brother was lying face down with his arms stretched out toward his rifle. Both men were missing their heads. Their friend was nowhere to be found. No one knows who or what killed the McLeod brothers. Their mind has become the stuff of which legends are made. Was it the evil spirit that cries in the night? Had the Nakani killed them? Perhaps the Naha still thrive in that valley and raided their camp. Many claim the brothers were killed by bandits and that wolves carried off the skulls. But wouldn't wolves, or any animals, have also scattered the rest of the bones? The fate of the two brothers and their partner were no deterrent to those in the throes of gold fever. 
Not many years after this tragedy, Martin Jorgensen followed their path into the valley. There he constructed a cabin and began to mine for gold. Soon he sent letters home raving of his immense strike. He was going to be a wealthy man once he got home, and his family would be wealthy too. But the man wouldn't live to cash in on all that gold. His cabin mysteriously burned to the ground. His body was found lying outside the cabin, with its head missing. Two other cabins in that region were burned to the ground. Phil Powers was cremated inside his cabin in 1931. Blame was placed on a faulty stovepipe. However, Powers was an experienced prospector who built his cabin with plenty of room for the stovepipe to go through the roof without touching any of the timbers. Additionally, a fire on the roof would have caused it to cave in and thus extinguish the fire before such extensive damage could have been done certainly before it got hot enough to reduce a human body to ashes. When partners Bill Napier and Joe Mulholland disappeared in 1936, another partner spent a year searching for them. All he found was their burned-out cabin on Glacier Lake north of Virginia Falls. No trace of the two men was ever found. The bones of another prospector, Yukon Fisher, were found lying next to a creek in 1928. Meanwhile, Three trappers vanished in that valley. Some reports indicate that Fisher was a criminal more than a prospector. However, he must have known the region and how to provide for himself against terrible odds. It's possible that some other disreputable brute happened upon Yukon and in the process of robbing him killed him. But the trappers, on the other hand, are a bit harder to explain. Trappers are a special breed of man. Miners endure harsh conditions because they must in order to get to the gold. Trappers relish the hardships. Their survival skills and instincts are finely honed, to the point of feeling almost supernatural to mere onlookers. I don't mean to imply that they are immortal, but it's hard to imagine three of them simply vanishing in the same area, during the same time frame, without the involvement of at least some nefarious activity. In the ensuing decades, interest in the Nahani Valley ebbed and flowed, but mysteries surrounding the place continued to flourish. In 1945, a miner from Ontario was found still in a sleeping bag on the bank of a creek with his head nearly severed. Of course, World War II distracted the entire human race for a while, but once it was over, the veterans returned home. Men and women alike began to look for adventure, and the Mackenzie Mountains, where you will find the Nahani Valley, began to call. During that time, several expeditions traveled up the Nahani, or Flat, the two rivers that created the valley. Some were in search of the legendary gold. Others simply wanted to see the beauty of such a pristine paradise. In 1946, Frank Henderson, the nephew of Robert Henderson, who found the first gold in the Klondike, arranged to meet his partner, John Patterson, in the Nahani Valley. He never found his partner, but he came out of the area with a pocket full of gold nuggets that he claimed were lying about on the bottom of a creek bed for anyone to take or in quartz deposits in the mountainside. He told another story as well. He was to meet Patterson at a certain point by Virginia Falls. The first to reach that spot was to leave a message on a large tree both men knew of. Henderson, the first to arrive, left his message and went on exploring. A few days later, he came back, but there was still no message from Patterson, so he decided to camp there for a few days. 
One night, he was awakened by a party of First Nations people who warned him of white figures moving along the valley. Henderson's find created a great scurry of interest. He decided to go back to the valley in 1947 to find his partner and more gold. A man named Henriksen went looking for Patterson and gold. And an ex-Marine named Carlin decided to look for Patterson and gold. Neither gold nor Patterson were ever found. The story of the Nahani Valley cannot be told without including May, or maybe her name was Anne Laverty. In 1926, she was on a hunting trip with her in-laws when she disappeared. In the moments prior to vanishing, they say she began to act strangely. Then, similar to the stories David Polites tells in his Missing 411 books, she was there one moment, and the next she was gone. A search party was formed for the young woman that managed to follow her trail through the rough terrain. It wasn't easy. They would follow along until it came to the edge of a creek bank too swift to cross, then it would disappear. They'd pick it up somewhere else, only to have it end at the edge of a cliff. Again and again they'd find her trail, then lose it at some impossible-to-breach barrier. Finally, they gave up. A few months after this, a First Nations man named Big Charlie came into a trading post and told the story of seeing a nearly naked young white woman climbing a hill. He knew that May Lafferty had gone missing, but the expression on her face when she turned to look at him was that of a woman possessed. He assumed that she'd been taken by devils and refused to go after her. In 1929, prospector Angus Hall vanished without a trace. In 1940, a man named Holmberg was found dead. In 1945, trapper John O'Brien was found dead next to his campfire with the match still in his hand as if he'd been flash-frozen on the spot. In 1949, the body of a man was found in his cabin. He'd written in his diary that he'd been 43 days without food before nailing a sign to his door that said, Dead Man Inside, climbing into his bunk and, well, dying. In 1962, a plane crashed into the valley. The pilot survived and, being well-provisioned, expected to be found within a few days. He recorded this in his diary. After 50 days, the entries abruptly ended. Eventually, the plane was found a mere six miles from his destination, but the man's body was never recovered. Then in 2005, David Horacy and Frederick Hardesty disappeared sometime between June 12th and 16th. David's body was found in thick underbrush on June 27th. Hypothermia was given to be the cause of death. Frederick was found in a river two weeks later. It was determined that he drowned. David and Frederick were best of friends. They did everything together and went everywhere together. So it isn't surprising that when one decided to take a hunting trip to the Nahani Valley, the other went with. On June 12th, they arrived at the cabin owned by their good friend, Rod Gunderson. Gunderson met them there and later testified that he left them healthy and in good spirits. Both men were experienced bushmen, so Gunderson had no reason to believe he would not find them well when he returned four days later. He was wrong. Upon arrival, Gunderson found the cabin abandoned and in a suspicious state. He immediately notified the authorities. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police discounted the possibility of foul play, but searched the entire area for a week before terminating their efforts on July 23rd but the men's families refused to give up. They continued to search until David Horacy's body was found not quite two and a half miles from the cabin. 
The spot had been heavily searched several times. It's possible that the bush was thick enough to keep his body hidden during the week-long investigation, but if so, how did he get there to begin with? Why would he have crawled into the underbrush? Was he hiding from something? What? Furthermore, he had unexplainable burns on his hands and arms. Finding David prompted the police to bring in dogs to continue the search for Fred. He was found 12 and a half miles from the cabin in the Nahani River. That place, too, had been searched several times, both on foot and by canoe. Complaints were filed against the Royal Canadian Mounted Police for their handling of the case. They refused to suspect foul play. The two men died in the same weekend. The cabin they were staying in had bullet holes all over it. A t-shirt belonging to Frederick was found with a big hole in it, like a gunshot blast. But the Royal Canadian Mounted Police did not see a reason to suspect foul play. The Nahani Valley, so frequently referred to as Headless Valley, or the Valley of Headless Men, is a beautiful but sinister place, full of mysteries and legends. Aside from all the people who have gone missing or have mysteriously died there, reports of prehistoric creature sightings regularly come from the region. Despite being extinct since before the Dene people settled that territory, accurate depictions of mastodons can be found in their artwork. Its location makes it an ideal spot to view the Aurora Borealis. But lights that can't be attributed to any natural phenomenon have been seen in the skies over that valley. It's so remote and so nearly impossible to reach that only the hardiest of souls are willing to make the long, arduous trip, or those who are greedy enough to risk everything for their fortune. No one in their right mind wants to be poor, but in seeking that fortune, you shouldn't lose your head over it. I'm Neoma Finn. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider following me for more episodes and give me a big old five-star review if you would, please. I upload every Monday and Thursday. You can find my videos on YouTube under Neoma Finn Open to Doubt or visit my subreddit at rneomafinn.com my Facebook page at Neoma Finn, or you can check out my Neoma Finn TikTok account where I prove repeatedly that we old people suck at millennialing. I like that word, millennialing. Or you can drop me an email at neomafinn at gmail.com. That's N-E-O-M-A-F-I-N-N at gmail.com. Thanks for stopping by. I hope you'll come back again soon. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Jumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Jumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.